I want to talk to you uh, a little tonight uh, about the way we walk. The way we walk. Uh, from Ephesians chapter 4. You know, a person's walk says something about them. Um, it can indicate something about their temperament or their personality. You know, there are some people that always seem to be in a hurry. No matter what they do, no matter where they're going, they always seem to be on their way to doing something very important. Um, then there are others that seem never to be in a hurry. And nothing bothers or flusters them. And I'll tell you, if you get that person that's always in a hurry and they come up to the person that's never in a hurry, then you've got some problems there. You're going to have a collision one way or another. Uh, Paul talks to us a lot about the way we walk. The way we walk is a, is a, is a metaphor, essentially, for how we live our lives how we behave ourselves, how we conduct ourselves. And it is used as such really throughout Scripture. Uh, we can go to the very beginnings of our Bible and read about men who walked with God, men like Enoch and men like Noah. In the book of Ephesians, Paul talks to us about the way we walk. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. As we look at the book of Ephesians, it's very interesting to note the balance of Paul in his writings. If you've ever studied much of the writings of the Apostle Paul, you'll find that very many of his letters are almost evenly divided between uh, doctrine and practice. Uh, in the beginning of uh, the book of Ephesians, the first half, Ephesians 1 through 3, uh, is very uh, heavy emphasis on doctrine. He's teaching uh, about uh, our calling. He's teaching about predestination. Uh, he's teaching us uh, about salvation by grace through faith. And if we were to give uh, that section, uh, the first part of the book of Ephesians, a, uh, a theme, we might say that the theme could be wealth because he talks about our riches in Christ. In the second half uh, of Ephesians, uh, chapters 4 through 6, it's almost exclusively about duty. There's a, uh, a very clear delineation at the end of chapter 3 and then beginning with chapter 4. And he begins there talking to us about our walk. 
In fact, uh, the word walk or Paul addressing uh, the way we walk, it happens five times throughout these three chapters. So I think Paul is pretty concerned uh, about the way that we as Christians walk. That is the way we behave, the way we conduct our lives in the world. And uh, as uh, we see in, in others of his writings, uh, the idea is uh, that he's giving us some teaching in the beginning. He's giving us some information. And then in the latter half of the writing, he's telling us, now here are the practical outworkings of the information, the teaching that I've given to you. Doctrine is important. There are some who might say, oh, don't, uh, don't, don't bother me with doctrine. Just, just let me live my Christian life. Um, but doctrine is important because, you see, the better we understand Bible doctrine, the better we will be able to live out Bible duties and Bible responsibilities. In this passage in Ephesians 4, he tells us that we are to walk worthy of the calling. Walk worthy of the calling. Verse 12 um, says, let's see, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I need to back up. Let's back up to chapter 1 of Ephesians. Um, what is the calling that he's talking about? What is the calling he's talking about? In Ephesians chapter 1, we read in the beginning that uh, we have been chosen. We have been chosen. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I've heard people speak of this, and I, uh, I, now my heart aches for young people. Uh, that have to go through the experience of standing in line and being picked for teams, uh, for team sports at, at school. Uh, if you were um, somewhat privileged uh, like I was, to I, I was never the most athletic or the best, but I was not ever the worst either. So I, I was usually not the first to be picked, but I wasn't usually the last. Oh, but I remember so clearly the emotion of that moment. And uh, there were always one or two who were always the last to be chosen, never first to be chosen, never picked in even in the middle, but there were always one or two, maybe three, that the team captains never really wanted on their teams. Well, friends, it's it's encouraging as Christians to know that we have been chosen. God chose each one of us. He wanted us from before the world was created, from before the foundation of the world. He chose us that we should be holy and blameless before him. He speaks of us being predestined. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And this is not talking about uh, some being 
picked for uh, uh, salvation and some being uh, uh, not picked, some being rejected, and so they're, they're reserved for damnation. They're just fuels for the, uh, fuel for the fires of hell. It's not about that. It's just simply saying here in the, in the Ephesians passage that God, like, like any loving parent, has good plans for his children. He's predestined us for good things. And uh, verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 1 gives us a little bit of that, that purpose for the choosing and the, and the predestination. Verse 12 says, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. In chapter 2, he speaks about how Jesus came and preached peace. He came and preached peace to those who were far and also to those who were near. This is chapter 2 and verse 17. So though uh, the idea of a calling is, is implicit in these words, uh, not explicit, it's very clear that God has called us. He has called a people to himself, a people for himself. And as we come then to chapter 4, when Paul admonishes the church at Ephesus to walk worthy of their calling, we see, first of all, that that is a call to unity, a call to unity. And uh, we can look back, and, and what I'm going to do now as we look at this call to unity is work backwards now uh, from, from chapter 4. We look at chapter 3, at chapter 3 in Ephesians, we see the mystery. Paul talks about the mystery of the gospel revealed. And Paul has this unique way of writing. If you have ever been so privileged as to have that exciting opportunity to learn and study Greek grammar, uh, Paul can be very frustrating in his writing and in, in, in trying to uh, work out the, the grammar of, of the original because he interrupts himself all the time. He has these long parenthetical statements and long run-on sentences that in English would never be approved by an English grammar teacher, but in Greek they're okay. They just, just run right along. And what we have in chapter 3 is a very long parenthetical statement uh, that begins with verse 2 of chapter 3 and runs through verse 13. All of that is in parentheses. The thought that he begins with in verse 1, uh, he doesn't get back to until verse 14. And what he speaks about in between, though, is, is very important. It's dealing with this idea of the mystery. Uh, verse 1, he says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Now he interrupts himself, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. 
and he goes on to explain what this mystery is, the mystery of the gospel and how it was revealed and made known through Paul and through Paul's ministry. And verse 6 says, the mystery is that the Gentiles, that's you and me, are fellow heirs with the nation of the Jews. They're members of the same body and partakers of the same promise. And Paul goes on to say that this is not a new plan, but this has been the plan from the very beginning. Look at verses 9 through 11. Paul says there, And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Salvation and relationship with God through Christ has always been for everyone, for all people, for all times. It's never been God's intention or idea or plan to leave anyone out. So, Working backwards now from the mystery, Paul says, here's the mystery that was revealed. The mystery is this, that salvation is for everybody. It's for Jew and non-Jew alike. In chapter 2, we see the history. I'm sorry, you have to bear with me. You know I can't help myself. Uh, It it either needs to be alliterated or it needs to rhyme or something. So um, just, just forgive me, bear with me. Chapter 2, we have the history. Um, And what he deals with in chapter 2 is just a little bit of the background of this differentiation between the the Jewish nation, or, or what we might say the Old Testament church, and the New Testament church. In verse 11, he speaks about the background of this, uh, of of chapter 2. He says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. And, And let me pause there. We need to understand that that is not just a an identifier. That is that that was a derogatory term. That was a term that the Jews would have used for people that were non-Jewish and often in a derogatory manner, a critical manner. You remember the story uh, of, uh, of David and Goliath? And remember when, when Goliath comes out to challenge the nation of Israel and says, send me a man that uh, they may fight with me. And if, you, you know, if your hero wins, then we'll serve you. But vice versa, if I win, then you're going to serve us. And, and you remember the indignation of David. What is this this uncircumcised man is saying? It's a derogatory term. And Paul is hearkening back to that understanding and, and reminding them, listen, this is the way things used to be, that you were considered outsiders, you were separated. He goes on to expound on that. Verse 12, remember that you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. 
having no hope and without God in the world. He talks about the history of this, uh, of this uh, separation. And then we have the wonderful, wonderful words, though, in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And yes, this refers to uh, the salvation of unbelievers, but in more, uh, it, more pointedly and in more detail, it refers to those who were at odds with each other becoming reconciled and becoming one body. Uh, he goes on, he says, verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one, that is Jew and non-Jew, Jew and Gentile, made us both one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments, uh, and uh, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. And I love this part at the end when he comes down to verse 19 through the last part of the chapter. He gives uh, the, the Gentile believers a little bit of instant heritage. I love heritage. I'm... I'm uh, I hope in a, in a godly way, proud of my heritage, my history. Uh, my mom used to like to tell people that my sister and I were fourth generation uh, evangelists on both sides of our family, and, and that's true. On both my dad's side and my mom's side, you can go back four generations, and they were all evangelists, whether in music or preaching or what have you. Um, and I, I still enjoy thinking about and reading the story about how my granddad, my grandpa Bender, and his parents, how they first really came to know the Lord when they saw the, in the, the area where they lived what they termed as the medicine show. And they, it was a tent set up, and, and uh, the rumor around town was it was a medicine show. And uh, they begged my granddad and his sister, my great aunt, begged to get to go to the medicine show to see what was going on. And they went and found out it was an old-fashioned uh, tent meeting, tent revival. And in that tent revival, the whole family got saved. And that just changed the course, the direction for our family. And it's thrilling to think about. But you say, what about those you know, what about them? They didn't, they didn't have the heritage. They didn't have the history to look back on. And for some that might feel a little like that, that might be here tonight, and you might say, Pastor, I don't have a heritage or a history like that to look back on. Paul gives, uh, gives you and every new believer, every first-generation believer, a little bit of instant heritage, a little bit of instant history. Verse 19, he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So friends, if you don't have a personal biological family history to look back on of serving the Lord, this can be your history. 
This can be your heritage, that you are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Praise God. So chapter 3, we have the mystery. In chapter 2, we have the history. And again, pardon me, chapter 1, the victory. Chapter 1 is, is where that comes from. In chapter 1, verse 3, Paul talks about the blessings that we enjoy because of our victory in Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Uh, we have common blessings. Those who were in, in uh, the day, those that Paul was writing to, those that, that were Jews and those that were Gentiles, because they are no longer separate, but they are part of one family, one body. They uh, share common blessings. They also are part of a common family, no longer two, no longer separate, but one family. Verse 5 of chapter 1, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Praise God. I've been adopted into the family of God. Isn't that wonderful? And then we have a common inheritance. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so Paul here is saying, because of all of this, uh, this background, we have all of these details in common now. We are no longer two, but we are part of one family. Uh, as he says in chapter 2, God wanted to create one new man, and that is what we have in the church. We are one body, one group of believers. We all belong together, and then Paul comes to the point in chapter 4, therefore I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, and what he says that looks like is unity, to walk in unity. We'll maybe come back to this uh, in coming weeks, but I'm going to bring this to a close. I was reading a little this afternoon about a New York family that bought a ranch out west where they intended to raise cattle. And some friends visited and asked if the ranch had a name. And the would-be cattleman said, well, we... Uh, wanted, I wanted to name it the Bar J, but he said, my wife was in favor of Susie Q. One of our sons liked the flying W, and the other son wanted the lazy Y. So we just decided to call it the Bar J, Susie Q, flying W, lazy Y ranch. And so the friend said, but where are all your cows? And he said, none of them survived the branding. <laughs> you know, friends, we have one family name. And it's not the Church of the Nazarene. As much as I love the Church of the Nazarene, it fed me and raised me and gave me my home, and, and I have wonderful memories of growing up in the Church of the Nazarene. But we belong to one family, and that is the family of God, and we are called to walk in 
unity with one another. And with God's help and God's grace, we look not at the things that divide us, the, the areas where we disagree. If, if we do that, we'll never walk in unity. If we emphasize our areas of difference and disagreement, But if we go back to Ephesians 1 and look at the things that we do share, we share a common family, a common family name. We've all been adopted into the same family. We share a common inheritance. We have all of these things in common, and we are called to walk together in unity. May God help us by His grace and by His power to do it.